This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. You're listening to the Knowledge at Wharton podcast. I'm Steve Sharetta, Senior Managing Editor at Knowledge at Wharton. And with us today, we have Kent Smetters, who's a professor of business economics and public policy here at Wharton. And Kent's going to make sense of the tax legislation that's flying through Congress at the moment based on analysis from the Penn-Wharton budget model. That's a highly robust, nonpartisan, online interactive tool that can be used for analyzing all manner of federal fiscal issues with tax changes being the big gorilla in the room at the moment. Kent, welcome back. Uh, the Kent, the Penn Wharton budget model, which is has, has been discovered, its findings are being quoted in every major publication these days, thanks to the importance and complicated nature of the recent tax change proposal. So, congratulations as oh, the creator. It's been a lot of work, and we have a fantastic team. So, uh, to jump into what's actually going on, this is the biggest tax bill in 30 years. Everyone yeah. seems to be saying it seems to have pushed through with a lot of details left out which has been confusing for many. And so the public's had a tough time understanding just what's in it. Uh, what's more, there's been a House version, a Senate version. Ideas are being floated for a compromise reconciliation version and so forth. Still, there seems to be some broad outlines, at least, that are in focus. So let's talk about that. On the one side, critics say that tax changes would increase the deficit. The taxes, the, the cuts don't pay for themselves, in other words, and and would do little to increase economic growth. Uh, on the other side, there's a contention that the tax changes will boost economic growth and thus family incomes, cause companies to hire more workers and overall boost the middle class. What what does the model show? Yeah. So overall, the Penn Wharton budget model predicts that the additional growth will be very small just because of how the tax plan is designed. We can talk a little bit more I just think that just that. on that point, I think I've seen uh, point well, one-tenth yeah. of one percent per year added to GDP growth. Is that right? It, it, m- Roughly? Well, well, basically what we show is that by 2027, GDP will only be about 0.3 to 0.8 percentage points uh, larger. So th- if you want to convert that to an annual growth rate, mm-hmm. that's like going from a 2% annual growth rate to less than a 2.1% uh, percent annual growth rate. More, more importantly, um, it, the, the additional growth that we project is only about one ninth of the growth that would be required for this tax plan to actually pay for itself. And so uh, we're very far away mm-hmm. from having a tax plan that pays through, for itself through these macroeconomic effects. So that's, that, that's a big gap. Yeah. Um, what? I should point out, by the way, uh, things even get worse after 10 years. Uh, You know, D.C.'s focus on this 10-year window. It's very misleading. When you get beyond 10 years, you might think, well, this – you know, the tax plan has kind of kicked in a bit more, more, you know, opportunity for it to be, you know, get better. It's actually worse after 10 years. Mm-hmm. And the reason why is because it's not paying for itself. The debt is building up, that the debt buildup uh, kicks in even more after mm-hmm. 10 years. And so we predict by like 2040, for example, um, that they basically GDP is basically unchanged. And in fact, they could actually uh, be a little bit smaller than on their current policy. Okay, so that's um, that's a big difference from what um, the uh, the the supporters are contending. Sure. Yeah. Um, 
as it stands now, we know it, it, it will change because it's in, in conference and so forth. But what what's it look like is the bottom line for business. We've got this corporate cat tax cut from 35% to 20%. Can you can you tell us about that a little bit? Uh, yep. Yeah. So there's a couple things in there. That there's a reduction in the corporate tax rate. Um, uh, we'll see what it ends up with. Uh, you know, uh, right now the target is to go from 35% to 20%. Unclear if they're going to be able to literally keep at 20% because of some of the revenue uh, issues, especially on the Senate side. There are particular uh, r- rules there um, uh, that known as the bird rule that they have to worry about. Um, uh, but that's the current target. And then to uh, increase what's called expensing, that is to uh, allow companies to depreciate their assets against their tax bill at a quicker rate than they currently are. In fact, mm-hmm. in particular, do it all immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, of those two effects, economists are much more excited about uh, the expensing mm-hmm. approach mm-hmm. than cutting rates, simply because expensing really focuses on new investments. Mm-hmm. Where Both of these plans, however, have very limited expensing. Um, they only focus on equipment, and then the expensive provisions are only temporary. They only last for a couple of years. Okay. And uh, just uh, in broad strokes for individuals, what's it what's it looking like? Yeah. So it really depends kind of where you are. By it, you know, the, the various tax rates will come down. There'll be fewer tax brackets. Um, there may or may not be, you know, something at the high end still that, that um, uh, has a higher tax rate for kind of higher income earners around what the, what we see today. They're still d- kind of debating some of that. Um, but nonetheless, for most people, the tax rates are going to come down, but there will be a loss of various deductions. And so on one hand, the standard deduction is going to go up. So for a lot of lower income people, they're going to be helped by that. Or, um, But then for uh, a lot of people living in California, New York, New Jersey, um, they're going to be losing likely at least part, if not all. We'll see how this shakes out mm-hmm. in conference. But they'll be losing um, a large part of the state um, and a local income and property deductions. It looks like uh, the current agreement is that they'll be able to still deduct the first $10,000 worth of that. But um, uh, if you're actually in California or New Jersey or uh, uh, New York, which, by the way, are blue states <laughs> that the administration is less well, sympathetic with. It's just a coincidence, uh, I'm That's sure. right. <laughs> um, but they, they, they're going to definitely be paying uh, mm-hmm. uh, more. So for, for those lower and middle income groups um, th- that at least the, the tax – Brackets will 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 drop a little bit, and yeah. and they might save a little bit. Is it is it a material increase in, in in money that they'll have in their pocket that's going to matter either to them or to the economy at large? Um, no, we're finding very little impact on okay. the economy at the large. And it, this is when we talk about you know what's the impact on the person. It really comes down to what is that individual. Mm-hmm. So uh, the Wall Street Journal uh, today just launched uh, a simplified version of our tax model. You can go to the Wall Street Journal website and 
you know, our actual tax model has hundreds of inputs. Mm-hmm. The, it's boiled down to just nine inputs okay. on the Wall Street Journal. So obviously this is approximations. Right, right. It's simplified. Your, your mileage may vary. <laughs> but yes, your mileage may vary. But nonetheless, it captures the salient features mm-hmm. of things like state and local deductions, uh, child credit, which is a big one, mm-hmm. things like that. And so you can kind of go in there and get a guesstimate mm-hmm. of what see what your taxes are today and what they will be, at least under the House plan, right? Right now, and then as these things get reconciled, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll do it again with the reconciled bill. Okay. One of the big issues, at least as far as media attention goes, and so I imagine people are, are interested in knowing about this, is that yeah. some analysts suggest that the tax rule changes strongly favor the top 1% of earners and especially yeah. the top one-tenth of 1%. I think one analysis even notes that in 2027, when individual tax cuts fall away, I believe, more than half of the benefits uh, would have gone to the top 1% of income earners. At the same time, uh, the Penn Wharton budget model suggests, as we reported earlier, that under the new tax regime, there'd be no significant change to the level of progressivity of the the tax code, which is interesting. So uh, those earning the most will pay a percentage of total taxes, very similar to what they pay today, I believe. And those earning at other levels, it would also be similar. So how, how does all that fit together? Because that sounds contradictory yeah. on the yeah. face of it. Yeah, right? and that's that's a big issue of trying to convey that to a media that wants, you know, sound bites and so forth. Let me just kind of say, generally speaking, um, unfortunately, this debate, uh, uh, the tax reform debate, is the big picture is how good in analysis has taken a back seat. You know? Um, you know, proponents of tax reform, you know, I used to call them conservatives, but, you know, conservatives used to be, believe in, you know, fiscal discipline that you actually pay for tax cuts, you know, like we did in 1986. But in any case, you know, proponents, you know, are basically making up growth numbers. We just talked about this kind of a little bit earlier. No legitimate model says, and when it's actually calibrated to the actual tax plan, that this tax cut is going to pay for itself. But uh, the opponents of this, um, you know, I think it's still safe to, uh, safe to call them kind of liberals. They're basically also making up numbers. I call it kind of the clickbait you know, when it comes to distributional impact. So they'll talk about what's well, the 1% or the top 10%. They'll talk about these guys make more from this tax plan than the bottom 50%. But this fact, of course, ignores um, the, the fact that the richest 10% you know, uh, in the country are already paying over 60% of the, of the con- country's tax bill to be, begin with. So when you start with a very progressive tax system, even a proportional change is going to look like, well, it's the top people are making up. But well, right. that's because they, in fact, paid most to begin with. And right. so what happens is that they, for the left, you know, the clickbait is who actually gets the most of the benefit from this tax bill, ignoring you know who actually pays the taxes to begin with. Mm-hmm. And we just don't think that's a legitimate analysis. What you instead want to do is actually look at, um, you know, there's a bigger numbers that you can look at, but one simplified number that's still legitimate is to look at tax shares. And that is you simply ask, uh, what is the share of taxes that are being paid by these different income groups, and how does that change? Well, one of the important uh, findings of our model is that the share of taxes paid by the top 1%, which is about over a quarter of the nation's taxes right now, the top 10%, over 60% of the nation's taxes, those shares 
even under current law, will go up over time. And the reason why is the different features of the tax code, known as real bracket creep and some other features that will actually increase their shares over time. For the most part, what this tax plan does on the distributional side, it kind of resets it, such that by 2040, um, the top 1%, the top 10% are going to basically have the same tax shares that they have today. Yes, they'll win for a, you know, a little bit. You know, It's not going to be a perfectly smooth offsetting path of the real bracket creep that we have on our current law. But for the most part, it's, it, it get, it's, it's just basically preserving the tax shares over time. Okay. So, uh, so for those that thought that this might do something for the issue of income inequality, it, yeah. it doesn't change it one way or the other if, if you're interested in that. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is, one of the, it, this is basically a tax plan that it, you know, on the growth numbers aren't great. The distributional numbers, uh, so the growth numbers of the proponents, you know, those are embellished. The distributional impacts of the of the opponents greatly embellished. This is a, an embellished debate on both sides. Okay. Um, does it look at uh, because income is is one thing, right? And then there's then there's a measure of wealth yeah. also. Does it do you does the model look at that and does that show uh, sure. the same? Uh, ratio of, of distribution that the income uh, model shows. Yeah, yeah. So for the most part, the increase in wealth by people is fairly proportional to their progressivity of the tax code. And so it's not uh, surprising that if you look at the percentage change in wealth, I mean, uh, low-income households, 50% of households in the United States have no meaningful savings outside of Social Security for retirement, for example. And so uh, there's very little nudge going on with them. When you give them a tax cut, they mainly spend the money. They're what we call borrowing constrained. So it's not surprisingly those who are not borrowing constrained are going to save more of that money, invest it, and so forth. Um, so you, you definitely get you know what looks like an uh, increase in wealth inequality. But again, it, it, we're talking about schmidgens. <laughs> you know, it, it's okay. not, not a big one. If, if, in fact, Congress were really concerned with this, there's a twofer here in terms of economic growth and even the distribution of wealth. And that is uh, is focus less on rate cuts on the corporate side and focus a lot more on expensing of new investment. Cutting rates doesn't just reward new investment. It rewards all the investments that have already been made and that will be subject to tax. Uh, Focusing your deficit dollars much more narrowly on expensing rewards purely uh, new investment. So more of a stimulus. It's more of a stimulus and it's a less of a reward to kind of current shareholders. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, so... Uh, I want to drill down a little bit more on the business tax side. Yeah. So they're going to be reduced 35% to 20% unless, as you say, <laughs> we've got all these possible deficit problems that yeah. could cause that number yeah. to go up a little bit to 20%. Will companies bring a lot of the money they have kept overseas? It's been a big issue. A yeah. lot of money kept over there. Yeah, $2.5 trillion. $2.5 trillion, uh, and take advantage of these lower rates? And if so, how much might they bring home? And what are they going to do with it? Are they going to, are they going to invest it? As, as we were just yeah. talking about, are they going to pay down debt? Are they going to give most of it to shareholders, hire more workers? What's your analysis telling yeah. you? Yeah. So uh, it's unlikely in the long run we're going to see big changes. What we're talking about is more temporary changes. So on the, both the House and the Senate version of the bill right now, 
all those foreign earnings, that $2.5 trillion sitting offshore, will be considered to be automatically repatriated. What that means is taxes due. Um, and, but there, it's, a, as, it's a tax due at a special rate. It's going to be due at, at 10%. And even then, it can be paid over many years. It's not all going to be due at once. So, it's, it's, so on the current law, the big issue is that those earnings are not subject to the U.S. corporate tax until it's repatriated and brought back mm-hmm. um, a, into the country. And there is another uh, – there's some Clinton-era loopholes that uh, allowed for that exploitation. So under this, these plans, you know, we're basically going to say all that is now repatriated automatically, regardless of where it is. You pay a 10 percent rate, would give you many years, likely a decade to pay that 10 percent uh, rate. So we will see some money coming back that artificially was sitting offshore. What will happen with that money? Um, that is a, a big debate that's going on now, but um, it's likely some of it will be paid out in higher dividends. Some of it will be paid out in stock repurchases and then um, uh, in other money. Um, some of it will likely be invested. We don't think the investment channel is going to be nearly as big as some people will say. And the reason why is that there's already some ways of clever financing. So, for example, Microsoft and a lot of the other companies that have big money offshore, they're smart. And what they do, they don't pay a dividend with that offshore money because that would be tax inefficient. They actually float new debt to pay a dividend already today. And so if they, they're not really constrained right now on making the investments that they otherwise would want to make in the United States. So for the most part, this repatriation will, most of that money is going to go to uh, as shareholders in the form of dividends and repurchases. What the issue really is, is what's going to happen in the long run. In the long run, after this one-time reset, mm-hmm. you're still going to have the same problem. Mm-hmm. Yes, the U.S. corporate rate will be lower, but it's not going to be low enough mm-hmm. to stop uh, this problem on new money mm-hmm. earned offshore because it's still going to be cheaper to do the you know double Irish Dutch sandwich you know yeah, inversion right, right. and all the other fancy yeah. techniques. And by the way, it, it, these tax bills as currently written have enormous loopholes, uh, to, uh, tax avoidance s- schemes that you could have. They're kind of aware of it. They're trying to rush and fix some of these things. Who knows? Uh, it, it's almost impossible to figure this all mm-hmm. out before the end of the year. Um, and uh, you really need months of talking with tax attorneys to figure out all these things. So it could be law easily before we really have any serious idea of what's that's what, right. What the that's results right. will be. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's it, it's very interesting. I mean, one, uh, two questions about what we're talking about there. One is, do you think, I mean, as I understand it, corporate debt levels are pretty high now. Do you think sure. this will lead to a pay down of some of that debt since they won't be financing themselves in quite the same way. Yeah, so corporate debt levels are high in countries like ours that allow you to deduct the interest mm-hmm. on that debt. It's completely tax arbitrage. Mm-hmm. It's not like companies are suffering for capital to invest and so forth. Sometimes you hear about debt being cheaper than equity. That's kind of you know loose language because mm-hmm. it's cheaper because uh, it's more tax efficient. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and so we have this big skew toward uh, uh, debt in the United States. A lot of people don't realize the mm-hmm. corporate debt market in the United States is bigger than the stock market. Mm-hmm. It's a huge, huge market. It's because it's over-the-counter traded, it's not as visible. You don't mm-hmm. see the, you know, the index like you do the Dow and your you know, news feed and so forth. 
forth. And but, as you imply, it's at a time when they're actually cash rich. Yeah, yeah. And so is, mm-hmm. I, I doubt uh, – so what these bills do is they, they're going to limit some of the interest deductibility. Mm-hmm. But again, that is going to be uh, likely – as I read the tea leaves mm-hmm. – um, will, will likely be temporary. And so – and there's – it's also not completely limited in that – that is lim- eliminated, I should say. It's just some limitation. So you should start to see some skew away from debt just for that reason. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it's going to be uh, uh, dramatically connected to the repatriation issue. So in general, you don't see – you don't think it's likely that there's going to be a big change in corporate strategy or tactics for these big multinationals and how they manage their their far-flung empires because uh, in the end, this tax thing – is going to be a wash and how, yeah, they, and the, how they handle things. For the first decade, it's going to look like big changes because of this one-time repatriation. Right, right. Um, but over time, yeah, it, it's not going to – you're still going to – if you are a larger firm, um, yeah, you're still going to be pretty smart in keeping that money mm-hmm. offshore. Mm-hmm. And the reason why that happens is because of this decision that was made to move towards what's called a destina- – uh, I'm sorry, a territorial tax – um, a territorial tax, and uh, the problem with that, uh, there's some advantages relative to our current tax system, which is known as a worldwide tax system, but it's not as integrated with the rest of the world the way what's called a destination tax, which mm-hmm. was part of the 2016 House GOP bill. Mm-hmm. That destination tax would have created much more integration mm-hmm. and removed those distortions for the most part. Uh-huh. That was not very popular uh, with Walmart and some other companies who were based claiming imports would become more expensive and mm-hmm. so forth. There was a lot of misunderstood economics. That's, that's, that's a debate that economists lost because we didn't articulate it very well. Mm-hmm. Um, but nonetheless, uh, because of that lack of integration, there will still be good tax arbitrage of locating offshore. Interesting. Okay, so um, what items in this tax legislation does the model suggest bring the most benefits to companies and to the economy overall. We talked about the, I guess, accelerated depreciation as yeah. possibly being one positive thing. What what else is in there that is good for business, good for people? Uh, I know we're talking about that. We've been talking yeah. about the net here, but like, yeah. there, you know, if you wanted to say, let's not throw the the baby out with the bathwater. What would those things be? Yeah, I mean, for the most part, it is a, a, the small move toward expensing on just capital equipment. It doesn't apply to structures. They did speed up a little bit on structures. The uh, uh, speed at which you can do depreciation, but it's not full expensing. Um, those are the th- things that tend to give you the uh, the the most kind of kick. Um, the reduction in rates is actually um, much smaller because once you go to full ex- uh, hypothetically, if we went to full expensing, then the reduction in rates actually does nothing for new investment because you've already essentially eliminated the tax on new investment. The reduction in rates only rewards existing investment. It's a complete wealth giveaway at that point. So the big power comes from uh, ex. Expensing, uh, and so uh, if you basically the big lessons for, from our model, if you're trying these lessons weren't here to, but if you really were trying to have a very pro growth 
um, uh, result. And you can get big growth just uh, if you went to full expensing of all tangible and intangible capital expenditures. So that means capital equipment, structures, and so forth. If you went to a really integrated international tax system like a uh, destination-based tax, and you actually, like 1986, paid for the tax reform. You made it basically revenue neutral on a static basis. And that by, by being on a static basis, that means that on a dynamic basis, net of growth, you're actually going to have more revenue. Now, why do you actually want to have more revenue? Because we got this massive amount of debt, and this debt is increasing as far as the eye can see. We're almost approaching World War II levels of debt. We're not quite there yet, but we're getting there. But with World War II, that debt came way down. Afterward, the war was over, and the economy has grown. We're rebuilding the world and so forth. Mm -hmm. Now we're on this debt path that is, as far as the eye can see, we're on this escalating debt path. And by being able to pay some of that down, using the dynamic effects to pay some of that down, that's where you get a nice big kick as well to stimulating capital investment. So those are the rule three main ingredients is full expensing, integrated international tax with a destination-based tax, and then being revenue neutral on a static basis and using the additional growth to pay down debt. None of which are in the current legislation. Well, the, the smidgen of the expense. A smidgen of the expense. <laughs> but the other stuff, that's right. Okay. okay. All right. Um, people need to pay more attention to this model, yeah. I think. All right. So the White House Council of Economic Advisors yeah. says that corporate tax reform will increase the average family income by $4,000 a yeah. year. I which they say is the lower bound. The, that's the lower bound. The lower bound. It could okay. be as much as 9000 according to them. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I think the uh, Penn-Wharton budget model suggests, uh, uh, according to our past reporting, a small amount of increase in yeah. labor income and GDP. So uh, how do you see the, the, the two, or I yeah. mean, reconciling or not reconciling? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let me put it this way, is that no model out there, even models that I disagree with, that are being made by proponents of the tax reform. Keep in mind, you know, <laughs> Republican— I'm a Republican, Republican appointee in the Bush administration. It's not some liberal guy talking to you here. Um, so, and I, in fact, my previous academic work is some of the most cited for these pro-growth, you know, effects of, of tax reform. But all those models are looking at very stylized tax changes that are revenue neutral that incorporate those things I just talked about that are very pro-growth. Any model that's actually looked at this current tax bill, not some stylized uh, example of the academic work that's been done in the past, any model that's actually looked at the current tax bill has not found anything close to it, it, it paying for itself. Even models that I disagree with that ignore the debt effects mm-hmm. have not found uh, that impact. And so when the Council of Economic Advisors number, which they say is between $4,000 increase, that is based on not just, it turns out, not just really stylized models, but also some studies that weren't even focused on the federal tax system. They were focused on arbitrage between some state tax uh, uh, systems. And so it's a, it is, they're they're political statements. No credible model produces that result. So if we could just look at some bottom lines here, what are the most important things for businesses to know about this and for consumers to know about this, would you say? Yeah, I mean, I think the bottom line for this is that 
don't get too excited. I mean, mm-hmm. the growth effects are going to be modest. The uh, for consumers, it, you know, individual taxpayers, it really comes down to your details. Where do you live, mm-hmm. um, and what is kind of the income range? How many kids you have? Again, mm-hmm. the Wall Street Journal calculator mm-hmm. um, that we created for them. Again, very simplified, but nonetheless, you know, you can mm-hmm. figure out some of those details for businesses. The issues there is going to be, yeah, you're going to have lower rates. You got this one-time repatriation, especially for the larger businesses. Some exploitation of, uh, I mean that in a positive way of, you know, increasing investment through expense and so forth. Not going to be huge, very uh, focused, uh, expensing and temporary uh, as well. The biggest concern I have on the business side is the big winners of this are going to be tax lawyers. Mm -hmm. And right now, there are just massive loopholes in the Senate uh, version, which literally has what's part of it was handwritten. Mm-hmm. You know, literally, we could, you can see the bill, and there's parts of it that was voted on was handwritten. Mm-hmm. Uh, the uh, kind of buy, get some votes at the last minute. Mm-hmm. Huge problems in it that even the Republicans acknowledge big problems and big loopholes and so forth. The biggest concern I have is between now and Christmas, where we're trying to get give a Christmas gift to the White House, to getting this tax bill done, there is just not enough time to figure out all these loopholes. Mm-hmm. And so there might be enormous tax unintended consequences. Uh, the corporate AMT is an example here. It wipes out all the value of the research uh, and, and uh, the, the uh, development and research credit and some other credits. Just a mistake. Republicans acknowledge it was a mistake and so forth. Um, and in the Senate bill. Uh, so there's all, then there's all these tax arbitrage of tax avoidance schemes, uh, tax abuse schemes, and so can forth. Just, can you just cite a couple as examples? Because it's very interesting to know yeah. the, these kinds of things. Yeah. So there are tra- uh, transactions that you can do. It's, it's, this gets really in the weeds, but what's called foreign-related parties, mm-hmm. which is basically not necessarily a fully-owned subsidiary, but anything that you have a 25% or more interest in. There are ways of basically essentially making payments to them and they give you a loan back and it's going to avoid um, uh, uh, potentials for what's called base erosion in, in these schemes. I mean, and so don't get me wrong, I'm not a tax lawyer, <laughs> but I'm listening to the tax lawyers mm-hmm. and they're basically saying there are enormous uh, opportunities here. And, and they say that, by the way, not giddy. Mm-hmm. They're not excited about this. They're like, Holy cow! Mm-hmm. Um, you know that was uh, a, a plate way of paraphrasing some tax attorneys. Holy cow! There are just big uh, base mm-hmm. erosion, uh, uh, a tax base er- erosion schemes here. Mm-hmm. And, and normally, how this works, like in 1986, you get all the tax lawyers, all the experts. You get, you know, you get, you have a process. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a it's a process of incorporating all that. It's not like the U.S. Treasury, mm-hmm. which does have great tax lawyers. They just don't have enough right. um, a, opinion. So, just the fast trackness of this is what is very mm-hmm. perplexing for everybody. Mm-hmm. And so, it sounds as though, um, based on these enormous. <laughs> potential loopholes you're talking about that, if anything, uh, your estimates for the deficit 
could be much yeah. higher. So we incorporate pretty uh, sizable what's called income shifting and reclassification. Those are the big the big ones where there's some empirical studies that have calculated what's called elasticities to figure out how much that's going on. So we have those in our estimates. In fact, our Senate, uh, our, our, the, the Penn Wharton budget model score for the Senate plan, when the JCT came out with their dynamic score a couple of weeks later, over 10 years, we were actually within – we agreed on basically uh, we're only differ by $3 billion over 10 years. We're talking about a $3 trillion annual deficit. We're talking about revenue loss, you know, over a trillion dollars over 10 years. We're basically within $3 billion of each other. We got there different ways, but on the house side, we differed quite a bit. And the reason why is because we believe that the base erosion is much bigger than what the government, the Joint Committee on Taxation, is accounted for. They also allow for what's called income shifting that's across periods of income reclassification that exploit differences in tax rates even within a period. They allow for that stuff. We believe they undercounted it. And so we, in fact, at the Penn Wharton budget model, we actually have uh, the Office of Tax Analysis kind of leading expert on income shifting and uh, pass-throughs and um, uh, income reclassification. He's now with us full-time, and he's generally considered the leading expert in this area. Mm. And we just believe um, that the, the official congressional numbers on this just are misestimating that. Having said that, coming back to your point, there is – if anything, we are still underestimating it mm-hmm. because we are not taking a uh, – we're just talking about income shift and reclassification. Mm-hmm. There are potentially even much bigger schemes here mm-hmm. that just take that stuff, put them on steroids, um, that clever schemes that lawyers will figure out that we, you know, weren't uh, – that we haven't incorporated yet. So the unknowns that no one knows about yet – uh, are probably going to be on the downside for, uh, uh, or I should say, on the upside for the deficit. Yes, yes. I don't see anything, um, any assumption that we're making. If any, if all the assumptions that, uh, that were we, we make, if anything, are pro growth. Mm-hmm. That's the, the irony about it. Right. I could go into a whole list of assumptions that we're we're making um, that, if anything, bias us upward in terms of growth. Um, but nonetheless, uh, the down the downsides are basically you know much bigger potential for, for deficits. There's not there's nothing in there where you say, oh, okay, you know maybe that will just eat away at the deficit. You know that will have the unintended consequence in the positive. Uh, direction. We just don't. It, it's not like uh, tax lawyers are good at figuring out how to reduce your tax bill, right. not figuring out how to increase your voluntary tax bill. Right. And so, um, it, the, this, <laughs> this schemes. The irony about this is that '86 reform, which economists left and right political spectrum, we all basically agree. I'm on, more on the right. We all basically agree that was a good tax act. Mm-hmm. It broadened the base, got rid of a lot of loopholes. You can you know, talk to people in, in D.C. at Brookings, Urban, and so forth, the more on the left, people like me, you know, Glenn Hubbard, Marty Feldstein, Greg Mankey, more on the right. We all pretty much agree. 86 was a class model kind of uh, a tax reform act. It simplified a lot of things, was pro-growth, revenue neutral on a static basis, so you got your growth really kicking in. Um, what th- this is going to do, uh, the, at least as currently written, unless somehow genius, you know, people on triple Red Bulls, Adderall, and so <laughs> forth, if can figure this all out and just, it, it, you know, 
at the nick of time before Saint Nick, you know, uh, comes, uh, they 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 are going to, to basically revert to pre nineteen eighty six, where basically if you had serious money coming in, you could always figure out how to avoid paying taxes. Before nineteen eighty six, lawyers literally advertised, "You make more than a million dollars a year, we'll figure out how to permanently defer your tax bill." Wow. All right. Well, we'll have to talk again after. After we know a little bit more about what is for sure in this, and yep. and uh, that will be very interesting. I look to forward see to it. What reality is? Okay, yeah. thanks, Ken. You can find more insights from Knowledge at Wharton on our website, which is knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. You can find all of our podcasts on iTunes. Also, if you like what you hear, or even if you don't, please leave us a review. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.